What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is Ian Koniak, sales coach, trainer, and keynote speaker. As the former number one account executive at Salesforce, his program is built based on what works. For SaaS companies, he provides sales training workshops and keynote speeches to help inspire and empower their sales teams with the right mindset, habits, and skills needed to perform their best. Prior to starting his own business, he worked in B2B technology sales for 19 years at Fortune 500 tech companies as an individual contributor, sales manager, and director of sales with over $100 million in career sales and numerous finishes at number one nationally. His mission is to share his learnings from over 19 years in sales to help people perform their best. And when he's not coaching, Ian enjoys spending quality time with his wonderful family, running and traveling, sometimes even traveling down to North County, San Diego where I'm based. Ian, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, how did you get into sales initially? I would never wanted to be in sales. I think a lot of people, they start in sales and, and they um, kind of fall into it. And that's what happened to me. I, I Before I got into sales, I was um, an avid traveler. I had lived in Australia for a year. I had been teaching English uh, in Venezuela for a year. And when um, I graduated college, I, I headed to South America and really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, found a job teaching and ended up falling in love with a Venezuelan woman in, in South America. And my visa expired and I had two choices. I could stay down there and I could you know, continue to teach or I could you know, come, come back to the US and try and figure out a way for her to, to come with me. Um, the challenge was they weren't giving out visas. Uh, she didn't have the work experience. So the only way I could get her here to the United States was to save enough money to put her through college and to get her a student visa and to support the both of us. So, um, you know, originally I wanted to be a photojournalist and, and a photographer, and um, that didn't pay anything when I, when I quickly realized that, you know, National Geographic wasn't hiring and Discovery Channel didn't have spots for brand new people with no experience. That's when I um, fell into sales and uh, the rest is history. Within a year I had her here. It was, it was a very much a, um, I'll do whatever it takes to, to um, be with the person I love and also get out of my parents' house. Cause I had to move back in with them after, you know, being completely independent. And, and, and now I went from no money, no job, no girlfriend and living with my parents. I was as determined and motivated to get out of that situation as possible. And that's, that's kind of what got me into sales um, 19 years ago. And that Venezuelan girlfriend is your now wife? No, it didn't work out so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought her here. We were together a couple of years. She ended up cheating on me while um, oh. we were living together. It was, it was devastating. Um, that brought, I mean, that's a whole different story, but that, that um, kind of led to my downward spiral into addiction. Um, and, and, uh, that I'm grateful for that because that enabled me to do the work I needed to do and got me to 
the place I am now, but at the time it was, it was really, really hard. Cause I had kind of given up everything for this, for this woman and, and, uh, she betrayed me. Um, so I met my wife. We we've been married now, um, for, it'll be nine years this year. So, um, I met her, I met her in 2010 and, and, you know, we're together 12 years. It's, it's been fantastic, but this was, um, this was a while back. This is about 20 years ago when I, when I had my ex. So got it. Yeah. Uh, I, so we were talking a little bit offline before about how we have similar paths with quitting pornography and personal development and, uh, shedding other things from our lives. So was that, uh, initially the trigger that, um, woke you up or got you interested in quitting certain things? Like, I'm curious to hear a little bit about your recovery there. Yeah, that kind of, you know, with, with addiction, um, denial is a real thing. And, and I think people like to think they don't have a problem um, until they hit rock bottom. And, and unfortunately, um, that wasn't my rock bottom at all, not even close. So that um, actually got me on a journey. So just to kind of give, give some context, um, I discovered porn when I was uh, really young. My dad had Playboys laying around and um, that was always kind of a fantasy for me. And then around the time I was 12 years old, I discovered hardcore pornography. At the same time, I had some um, personal stuff happen in my family where my, my parents split. My brother was sent to live with my dad. We went from a family of four to a family of two. I lost a pet. All this bad stuff happened within a very short amount of time, um, coinciding with when I discovered porn. So that kind of um, uh, tendency was deep rooted. And, and I always looked at women as a source of self-worth for me. For me, it was always, you know, if I got attention from women, if I got sex, that was, that made me feel good. And that started very, very young. And I think it, it continued with the Venezuelan woman. She was very, very beautiful, like, you know, model, model, and but she was not nice to me, but I didn't care because it was like, she was a reflection of me that she was so beautiful. And so she was, um, it, it was a, a definitely a, a relationship that had problems looking back um but at the time i didn't care because you know um, the physical aspect was great so when she cheated on me my my um my self-worth took a nosedive and, and i started drinking heavily i started going to strip clubs i started really trying to sleep with as many women as possible because that's where i got my worth um and it culminated with me uh crashing into a tree going 55 miles an hour on the way to a strip club a few months after she had cheated on me. So you would think that would be a rock bottom. You would think that's what would have gotten me into recovery. Um, but that was back in 2006. And I didn't really get into recovery until 2020. So my, um, my journey was one where I tempered off alcohol, but I didn't temper off porn and sex and strip clubs. And unfortunately, um, that was something that was in my genes. It was something my father struggled with, my brother, my, you know, it's it just something that addiction is, is deep rooted in our, in our family. And it took me um, nearly losing my wife before I decided to get help for sexual related compulsive sexual activity. That That's really what it took. Before then I was, I'd say I was aware of more hardcore tendencies like getting hammered or taking drugs, but I never had given up sexual um, related activities like pornography or strip clubs or anything like that because I just didn't see it as an addiction. I didn't see it as something that was a problem. I saw it as like, I'm a guy, this is what guys do. Um, but it took me nearly breaking my wife's heart and, and traumatizing her to, um, to realize that this is something that 
unfortunately could have cost me everything and it nearly did. I mean, she, she left me briefly, but once I quit and I got into recovery for, um, for that, that's, that's when my whole world changed, um, for the better. So it's been, it's been now 26 months. So it's been, yeah, two years and two months since I quit porn and over three years since I've gone to strip clubs or, you know, any, anything physical that stuff that I was doing before. Wow. Well, yeah, I really acknowledge you going on that path of healing because I feel like so many people are not outspoken about that. And many, many men and women probably struggle with these things, especially sex addiction, love addiction, codependency, porn addiction, and just mm -hmm. never get help. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to do this. And I definitely want to talk about sales too, but I'm just curious for you, what specifically enabled you to quit pornography because I know in my journey, it was not easy and I had to check out a lot of different resources before I was able to um, quit for good. Yeah, I, I think it's important to cover the why. Um, I, I share a little bit about rock bottom and a lot of alcoholics have this, a lot of drug addicts have it, but how do you find a rock bottom with pornography, right? So um, I'll, I'll just get a little bit specific so everyone knows the context. Um, my vice, back in the day was, was uh, porn and strip clubs, we'll, we'll call it. Anything relating to objectifying women, seeing women naked, whatever. Um, that's what I had. And, and when I got married, um, my wife was very clear with me. She felt that going to strip clubs was cheating. So in my bachelor party, um, I was not allowed to go to a strip club, yet I did it in secret. So I had this kind of like uh, double life, if, if you will, that I was I was living. And I'm like, you know what? She's, she's too conservative. This is not, you know, my problem this is her problem i shouldn't have to conform well any any marriage or any relationship built on a lie or where there's secrets is is destined for for some type of um problems and so what, what ended up happening in 2020 is and it's only by god's grace that i am able to 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 share i want to give full credit where it's due um because it was a spiritual journey for me and finding my faith that led me here um but fundamentally um for some reason, I think our relationship was already kind of going in a negative direction. My ego was getting super big. I'd started this coaching business, which was very successful. I was killing it at Salesforce. And I just started kind of like uh, becoming obsessed with myself and my ego. And it started distancing me from my wife. Now, because we were getting distances, we weren't as intimate as we previously ha had been. And because of that, I started wanting to open up to her about why I needed sex, why it was just necessary. And I started telling her about my past before we got married. Now I didn't tell her anything we did during marriage, but I started telling her that. And she just asked me, she's like, have you done any of this during our marriage? And I'm like, well, I, I look at porn um, still. And I didn't tell her anything else, but I said, well, I look at porn still. And, and then um, I told her I used to go to strip clubs, but I quit, which hadn't true. I hadn't gone for a little while at that point. So I thought it was fine. Um, but I said, well, I go to virtual strip clubs. This is what I told her. I said, I go to virtual strip clubs. She's like, well, what does that even mean? She's like, well, webcams. It's, it's, it's like fantasy. Women are on webcams. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's all fantasy. But she's like, but these are real women? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, do you talk to them? I'm like, well, it's like a chat room kind of thing. And um, she was kind of quiet and, and didn't say anything. Well, later that afternoon, I came back and she had all my credit card receipts out. And she had all of my papers and she's like, what the fuck is this? You know, what's been going on? And I'm like, well, you know, there's a couple bucks here and there. Like, what's, what's, what's the big deal? And of course I'm being defensive. And then like, it went from bad to worse. Um, she was pregnant at the time. And she, um, 
fell into the ground and she collapsed and she started shaking uncontrollably. And then she started going um, into labor and she was four months pregnant. So at this point, like we went from like, you know, this is, this is bad to we got to go to the doctor immediately. So we jumped in the car, we headed straight to the doctor. And during that drive, I just remember, you know, you have these defining moments in your life. Um, all I could do was pray. All I could do was, was say, God, please, please don't take this baby. I don't care like what I have to do. I'm going to get help. I'm going to never do this. Cause, cause it's one thing to think you're doing something in secret. That's not harming anything. It's another thing to see your partner harm. It's another thing to think you're responsible for the death of your child. And for me, that's unfortunately what it took. That was my rock bottom. And so um, we drove to the doctor and I thought because she was in labor that we were going to lose the baby and we had already had a miscarriage. And so we get to the doctor, he lays her down, puts on the um, ultrasound. And I mean, it was the longest, you know, period, the longest 30 seconds of my life because he was just holding it and it was completely quiet. Like he was checking for a heartbeat. And fortunately he looks up, he's like, I, I, I think the baby's okay. I hear a heartbeat. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm like, what's going on? What happened? How could you be in labor? It's like, these aren't labor contractions, Ian. These are stress contractions. She's been so stressed by what happened that her body mimicked labor and your baby's okay, but we need to calm her down. Like what happened? Did you fuck around on her? Did you, you know, cheat? I'm like, well, I was, yeah, something similar to that. But seeing that impact that my wife had from me looking at other women on camera um, through, through, you know, webcams was, was the, was the thing that specifically um, got her to that point. Um, that was it for me. So then I decided, okay, where, what do I do? Where, where do I go for, for help? Um, and I quickly went online and I discovered there were groups similar to um, AA. There was similar, there were groups of uh, men who were dealing with compulsive sexual behavior, sex addiction, love addiction. And so I, I joined a group called SAA, um, which is, it stands for Sex Addicts Anonymous. And I, in that first group, the, the, the person moderating the group was a, was a pastor. And he was telling me, you know, we, we basically are forgiven. And I, I just remember just like being like on the camera. It was in Zoom. The pandemic had just started. And I just remember like crying on the camera. And it was just like the most like horrifying shame that I ever had. And I approached him afterwards um, and I asked him to be my sponsor. And he said, yes. And that kind of started my journey into recovery and doing the 12 steps and um, I also mirrored that with a lot of other things like um, going to therapy for addiction and for um, compulsive sexual addiction specifically. Um, I, mirror, I, 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 I did a lot of work. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I mean, I, I paused everything so I could deal with something that I hadn't dealt with my whole entire life. And that's really what it took for me. It took like many, many different um, support channels um, to be able to uh, get the help that I needed. And like I said, it's been two years and two months. Um, so I, I'm extremely, uh, extremely grateful we went all for, for that. My wife, um, part of this thing, Brendan, I, is I also had to do a disclosure with my wife. So part of the therapy was going and telling her every single thing I had ever done in and outside of our marriage. And that was like the hardest thing I've ever done. But having no secrets and having nothing to hide for me was the most liberating, freeing, amazing feeling. And at that point, it was my wife's choice whether or not she wanted to stay with me knowing the truth. And, you know, for a while she didn't, she left me for 
um, a short period and she came back and she said, look, I see what you're doing. And I choose that, you know, I choose forgiveness. I choose um, love in our family. And, and I mean, it's been, our marriage has been better than it ever was at any point um, now after, after making this change. And it's because it's built on a foundation of truth versus a, a foundation of, of secrets and lies. Wow. When you have stressful days, weeks, situations that come up in your life now, how do you handle them as opposed to going to pornography or alcohol or Adderall? Um, I have through my recovery. So people say um, sobriety is moving away from something. Recovery is going towards something. There's a big difference between abstinence or sobriety and, and true recovery. And I, I would say I've walked a path of immensely successful re recovery. So um, it, it's a concept that I teach my coaching clients called addition by subtraction. Okay, by subtracting things that no longer serve you, you give space and time for the things that do, to add the things that do. So I added a lot of things in my life that because I wasn't, you know, spending time uh, on addictive behaviors, it wasn't just porn and, and alcohol. I mean, it was things like video games. It was um, YouTube binging. It was anything addictive that was an escape um, from, you know, from reality or from stress. And so because I had to sit with myself and, and, uh, I, I became very aware uh, of the feelings that I was having that were um, um, the pre uh, predecessors to the addictive behavior. There's a great book, uh, Charles Duhigg, called The Power of Habit. And he talks about cues that lead to um, addictive behaviors. And, and I, I had a lot of cues that would, that would be um, things that would lead me to go watch porn or masturbate or do whatever. And a lot of that was stress for me. Like you said, it was, it was noticing I was stressed or overwhelmed. And so when I felt that, um, I, had to, I had to do new things. So my new additions, um, sometimes it was just taking a few deep breaths and taking a pause and being aware. Sometimes it was taking a walk. Walks became a big thing for me. It's just, I'm feeling like depleted right now. Let me go on a walk, um, go in, spend a little time with my wife, um, text a friend, take a break. That, that, that was like in the moment things that I'm doing um, during these situations. But now a couple of years later, it's really evolved into a very consistent morning routine that fills me up and makes it so I don't feel depleted from the stress because I'm showing up with um, energy richness every day. I'm showing up in an optimal state. So every morning I have a very, I'd say, um, pretty regimented routine to put me in a a place where I'm able to deal with stress and fully give my best. And that consists of, of um, exercise, endurance exercise. It consists of prayer. It consists of affirmations that, I, uh, that, I, that connect me with my best version of myself. It consists of um, what I'm putting in my body. So I've really kind of um, gotten to a place where I don't feel the stress anymore in the way that I used to. And when I do, I kind of recognize it for what it is. Um, and I just say, okay, I need to take a break versus I need to go look at porn because I, I just want to zone out. So it's a very different way of, um, it, the awareness is the biggest thing for me. It's just being aware of, of the, the, the cues that make me want to do that. And then, I, and then I go to my positive outer circle activities, which are the healthy behaviors that um, I use to deal with stress. When husbands take these steps towards their own recovery, you typically see wives follow them and look at areas in their lives for healing as well. Is that something that your wife experienced? She had a different kind of healing. I, I think um, 
wives need to do their own work. Any anyone who um, who's gone through something that one wife has gone through, anyone who's been cheated on, any wife who's husband has been living a double life or keeping secrets is going to have some type of trauma um, that they experience. And so my wife was specifically seeing a trauma therapist for, um, you know, for I'd, I'd say six months or so after this all happened. She was also reading books because I put her in that situation. She had to do her own work. Um, but it was more about understanding the nature of, um, the addiction and also the nature of trauma and how she could heal. Uh, I, I wouldn't say she had that much to work on. I, I did some damage, but my wife was always, um, you know, we all have, we all have things we need to work on, but she was a pretty uh, even keeled, pretty loving, good, good woman. She didn't have that many vices or things that she um, was doing that she became aware of. I, I would say in seeing my journey to recovery and in seeing my specifically my journey towards um, health, she's become very aware of, you know, wanting to work out and wanting to be the healthiest she can be. Um, when I make an effort not to um, be snappy or have a temper, for example, in our marriage, she, um, you know, if she ever yells at the kids or whatever, yells at me, it's like, you know, it's one thing to, to tell someone to do something. It's another thing to practice yourself and, and lead by example. So that's what I try to do because you can't get people to change and to want to change. They have to want to do it themselves. And so that, that's kind of like with my wife, I just try and mind my own business. And by setting a good example as a husband and father in terms of how I treat her and, you know, how I show up, I think it does rub off. I mean, how could it not? Um, but I'm always trying to work on myself first versus, you know, telling her to work on herself because um, she's going to do that anyway by the nature of um, just wanting, just being around me, frankly, because I'm so into personal development. Yeah. No, I like that. You know, really just stay focused on yourself and your own growth. Don't put any pressure on them to do anything. And they typically will follow that suit. They really do. I mean, it's funny because the spiritual path we're on together, it's like, we'll talk about God. We'll talk about, well, conversations we never had before, but my wife is the one who brought me there by her showing me forgiveness, showing me grace, showing me acceptance. Um, it showed me God. It showed me what true love is and what it looks like. And that for me was, that made all the difference. That's amazing. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is we have uh, a lot of coaches and business owners who listen to the show. And I'm just curious if we could shift over into talking about sales. And I know you come from that corporate Fortune 500 account executive type model, but I'm curious if you've worked with any coaches on sales or business owners like you and me, or maybe even just talking about your own personal experience as a coach selling coaching to give some uh, value and some advice to our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I can give some sales tips, but what's what's fascinating for me, I know you have entrepreneurs on here, um, is I didn't have coaching experience. I had a lot of life experience and I had a lot of sales experience, but I didn't have like a certification for a coaching program or had, you know, traditional coaching experience. And so I came into this business with a lot of sales experience, a lot of selling technology to big corporations, but in my first full year, I'll do over seven figures in revenue. So um, I, I think the average coach makes around a hundred thousand dollars. Now I don't say that to brag. I say that. Because, no, I think the average um, coach makes a lot less than hundred K if, uh, 
if you do the math. average, the average business coach, right? Co coaching executives and businesses makes about right. 86,000. If you look at the yeah. average coach of coaching anything, with like, fitness like a couple of grand anything, a month. It's, it's way, it's way less. Right. Yeah, so to do yeah. seven figures in this business is unheard of it. I don't know anyone who's done that as a first year coach. And the reason I'm able to do that is because I, I know how to sell a lot. So yeah. I, I, I don't specifically coach coaches on how to sell their programs, but I coach salespeople on how to sell whatever they're selling. And it's all pretty much the same. I think fundamentally, when you are a coach, you are in sales. Um, I consider myself a salesperson first and a coach second, because if I'm not selling, I will have nobody to coach. And so fundamentally, um, that's, that's kind of how I'm wired is, is sales is misunderstood. Okay. Selling is seen as sleazy. It's still, you still have the kind of the car salesman image of, of what sales is and people cringe when they hear about selling um, as a profession. But what I, what I tell my clients and really everyone is um, if you're a great salesperson, it doesn't feel like you're selling anything. It feels like you're helping and truly selling at the highest level is helping people solve a problem or achieve a desired goal through having a impactful conversation. And that's the same thing as what coaching is. So coaching for me and selling are, are synonymous because even if I'm going to coach somebody, I need to help them come to a realization that they need to change, that they need to make some fundamental um, you know, shifts in their lives. And that, that uses influence skill to help them come to that place. And that's really no different than getting a company to realize that they need to change or they need to fundamentally do things differently to be able to um, achieve their goals or solve a challenge. And so to, to me and in, in, in what I teach my clients um, is, is very simple. It's, it's um, help others get what they want and you will get what you want. And sales is a vehicle to help people get what they want. So if you're focused on having conversations about what other people want, what's stopping them from getting it, what specific challenges they're dealing with that, you know, that they're trying to overcome that are getting in the way of what, what they want to achieve. And then only then if you can help them after having that conversation through the products, the services, the coaching that you provide, then it's time to have a sales conversation. And a sales conversation is, is really the last thing that you talk about on a sales call. It's really all about them and their goals. And you know, people want to feel heard. They want to feel understood. And, and just getting really good at having conversations about other people and asking really powerful questions is the bulk of what I teach in, in my sales programs. And um, that's what I would advise anyone is, is like make it about understanding other people understanding what they face with, know the questions, of course, that you need to ask to uncover any challenges or pain points that they may not even be aware of, right? And fundamentally, listen. Listen with the intent of understanding and not replying. Really dig deep, ask questions, understand the root causes of, of the challenges that they're sharing. And, and only then, when you know with 100% certainty that you can help somebody and that you can provide value for them based on the conversation do you have the right to even talk about yourself and your programs and i think that's where a lot of people screw up in sales is they they, they show up and they throw up they talk about themselves and their programs without knowing what someone's going through and whether it's even a fit so for me that that's the essence of um what i do in every 
sales conversation that I have with the client or potential client is like, hey, why'd you take the call? Where, where do you need help? What's going on? And if it's something, especially if it's something that they're dealing with that I've gone through, right? Imposter syndrome or um, having addictive tendencies that pull them out of alignment or having personal issues that are preventing them from working their hardest or whatever. Like, I know I'm going to be able to help them because of the shit that I've had to do for myself. So for me, then I light up, like I, nothing makes me happier than having someone open up and share their pains and get vulnerable. Cause that's when I know the healing and the real work can begin. And that's when I know there'll be a good, good fit for coaching clients. It's like, it's, it's interesting because the people that I just talked about sales training and sales skills and enterprise selling are the ones that get the least uh, results versus the ones that actually look in the mirror and say, Hey, I'm afraid to call into executives. I'm afraid to really give my all because, you know, I'm afraid of failure. So I stay where it's comfortable. Like the people that really look in the mirror and see why that they're not performing their best are the ones that I can help the most, but the ones that just want to like know how to, you know, have a, um, executive discovery call and what, you know, it's like, okay, anyone can teach that. There's a lot of books out there, but really um, coaching is about looking in the mirror and, and understanding what's holding you back as an individual. And that's, that's what I love doing. It's almost like half therapy, um, more therapy than, than sales training in, in, in many cases. Mm -hmm. No, I, I totally appreciate that about listening, asking the right questions, only pitching at the right point when it makes sense. One of the questions I get a lot from some of my students and some of the listeners is, all right, Ian, so I did all that. And, you know, we're at that kind of one yard line where they're a great fit. I've walked them through it. We built that relationship and trust first. And you can see them hemming and hawing and they're right on the fence there. And it's like, I just, you know, they say, I want to think about it or send me a proposal. Yeah. Like, how do you typically handle situations like that? Well, I think, again, it comes down to like the most successful people, entrepreneurs, or coaches or salespeople, the ones that aren't attached to the outcome. If you fundamentally as a coach believe that this is good for them and that this is for them, you're going to handle that objection and that concern with empathy, with passion, with um, you know purpose versus making it about you and closing the deal, right? So, so fundamentally, if you tell, if someone said that, I'm like, look, you're hesitating, right? I would say, look, you're hesitating right now. I know this is good for you. Everything you shared, I know it can help you. Like what, what's holding you back? You know, I would try and find out and be just very direct in terms of what, you know, what they're scared of. And if they say, you know, I just have never invested in myself, then I'll share the story of my own personal development. So I'll say, look, I, I spent 20,000 out of my pocket in 2017. I was an average rep. And after spending that money, um, you know, I, I went to number one at Salesforce and, you know, I, you know, I'd go in and kind of share my story. I'm like, I get it. Look, it's hard to invest, but if you're not willing to invest in yourself, then how can you expect other people to invest in you? So, you know, for me, it's really about challenging them to really, um, to think about, you know, um, investing a little bit differently and also making it about them. Like, not about like, oh, what can I do to close this business? You know, if I, if I lowered the price, what would, you know, would you be able to do it? Let's figure out a payment plan. Like, like that's sleazy. And, and there, for anyone listening to the, uh, to this podcast, who wants to get better in sales, I'm going to um, give a, sh a shout out to my, my good friend, um, you know, a a Andy pa Paul. Um, and a Andy has a, has a book out. Uh, it just came out very recently and it's called Sell um, Without Selling Out. Okay. And this book is, um, it's fantastic because it talks about the difference between someone who's salesy and someone who just genuinely wants to help. 
So to, to be a great salesperson, it really is about being authentic. It's about having high integrity. And if you show up in service to someone else and you know, they still don't want it, like that's their loss. And I'll tell, I'll tell them that I'm like, you are missing out on a great opportunity. I'm not going to pressure you because fundamentally this is for you. It's not for me, but I can tell you that clients in my, you know, program that have had your, you know, um, situation coming in and these challenges were able to transform themselves, you know, massively. And, and that's really what, what you need. But again, you have to want to do it. Otherwise it's not going to work out. And then I'll pause and I'll let them kind of, you know, but I'm definitely challenging them to like find out what it is and put like put pressure in the sense of like, I know this is good for you. Let's 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 figure this out and do it because once you're in it, you'll have no regrets. So let's, you know, what is it like? So I'm putting them on the spot and forcing the conversation where someone else might say, oh, I need to think about it. OK, how long do you need? A couple of days? Fine, because they don't want to be pressure. But I'm doing it in a pressure out of love and in, in the sense of like, look, this is the right thing for you. We're right at the one yard line. Like, what's going on? Let's let's figure this out because I want a yes or I want a no, but not a maybe or I need to think about it. I just that doesn't make sense to do. I know typically when someone gets off the phone, if they're a maybe, typically they're going to be a no. They're going to talk themselves out of it. Logic is going to set in, and I don't want to see that happen to them. So I really do try to force some type of decision. And if they're not ready to make a decision because of things they have to check in, like finances, they have to move money around, or obviously they have to talk to their wife, that's fine. Like, go do that. When can you get back to me? But if they're indecisive about doing it, that's when I force a decision. If it's just like, I need to take these steps, give me a day or two, then that's fine. I totally let them go do that because I'm, I mean, I, I'm not going to close it on the spot anyway. Yeah. I know at what point when you're trying to get to that yes or no, I wouldn't say the word give up but I would say kind of come to a decision, like how much back and forth do you kind of give them wiggle room for before you're like, all right, you know what? Like, you know, you're not in, no worries. Like, when do you I, I'll just say, it sounds like you're, you're hesitant. And I want to work with people that are decisive. I want to work with people, the best performers, are the ones who can make decisions, who can act quickly. Cause those are the ones who are going to take the advice and they're going to take the, the application of the program and put it to work. So if you're this indecisive going in, you're probably not a great fit for the program. And then do anyone ever kind of get come, oh, whoa, 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 like, you know, I didn't say that and kind of come back to you or is that typically? All of them, all of them, almost yeah. all of them. When I use that, when I say it's probably not a good fit, they usually say, yes, I am. You know, here's what I need. Like, it, it's like, oh, don't tell me I'm not a good fit. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's almost shocking if you say they're not a good fit. Sounds like you're not in where they say, you know, um, no, no, I usually they're just on the fence. They need a little bit of, you know, they need to convince themselves. So that'll push them over. That's a, that's a technique um, in Sandler sales training. It's called strip lining where it's like, well, it sounds like you're not ready yet, which is fine. Like give them room, give them a little line, right? Like a fish. If you pull too hard, you're going to break the line. So give them a little line, let them have it out and then let them come back to you. So that's usually what I do. If, if it feels like you're trying to sell, then it's not right. If it feels like you're trying to help and you're trying to help them to uh, make it work, then it's right. That's kind of like, it, it's not something, the worst salespeople are the ones that are trying to like script it or trying like, if, if I say, if they say this, I say this and, and memorizing like what to do and objection. That's not what I teach at all. What I teach is how to have a real conversation, how to care about people, how to get out of your own way and like make your life about service, similar to what you're doing with this podcast. So th that's fundamentally what for me coaching is it's about helping somebody and if they're not ready to it's like an addiction like if they're not ready to get help if they're not ready to change like 
they're not going to be successful in the program. And I don't want them. And that's the way that I look at it. So fundamentally, if it feels like I'm trying to sell them and convince them or whatever, then that's when I stop. That's when I'm like, this doesn't sound right. I, when you're talking too much, like, you know, it's, it's not a, a good feeling. And, and, and we all know that in those sales conversations where we're like trying to convince somebody, that's not how good sales conversation should go down. It should be all about helping them come to the realization that this is good for them and then working through whatever concerns or questions they have so that they feel comfortable and confident signing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, cool, man. Well, uh, how can people find out more about you? Where are you located? Uh, what can people do to learn more about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. Um, my favorite uh, place to hang out digitally is, is LinkedIn. So if you, if you search Ian Koniak, you'll see me on LinkedIn. Um, every week I put out motivational um, sales training videos. They're very much about mindset and habits and, and also, you know, some selling skills specifically for, I'd say people that are selling technology, people that are selling corporate B2B um, type of, of um, solution, SaaS in, in the like. Um, and I, I, uh, if you, if you want to find me, go on my LinkedIn. Um, I also have a program, uh, uh, it's launching next week. So it's, the timing is, is pretty exciting. It's called untapyoursalespotential.com. So it's untapyoursalespotential.com. There is a wait list, um, but you can sign up for the wait list. Uh, all my programs are sold out right now, but I am, um, scaling the program now to support more people in a one-to-many kind of group, group coaching environment. So, um, if you go to that site, you can see all about it. It's a very detailed program. It's a 12 month membership. So I'm kind of shifting from the one-on-one -on -one model to a membership for coaching as a service to be able to support the demand that's in the market right now. And, um, you know, that site again is untapyoursalespotential.com and you could look at the different programs. And if anything sounds like a fit, then just join the wait list and I'll reach out with more details as soon as our spots opening up. I love it, man. Well, Ian Koniak, well, uh, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And thanks for also um, what you're doing, Brendan, to bring awareness to um, porn and, and, and the dangers uh, of some of what we talked about in, in, in the beginning of the show. I appreciate it you uh bringing that to light and congrats on your journey as well over a year yeah thanks man thank you same to you thank you for tuning in to another episode of the brendan burns show if it's your first time here please make sure to subscribe on the apple podcast app or in spotify also please leave us a rating or written review this helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people thanks again for listening and have a great day